Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hi, Helia. Just wanted to say thank you so much for a fantastic Take On Board podcast. I'm actually a relatively new CEO and I'm very much navigating the complexity of working with the board for the first time as much as I'm also enjoying it. And I wondered if I could ask a few questions that you could pose um, to your guests to get some hints and tips about how to do this as well as possible. So as a first timer working with a board, it's pretty clear that my relationship with them is really important. What are some hints and tips around how to establish really good working relationships early on? What is it that a, a board chair can and actually probably should be doing to support a new CEO and in fact probably any CEO at all? And do you have really any general advice about kind of CEOs working with their board and how to get the most out of that relationship? Laura, that is a great question. And I know just the person we should speak to. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting. Yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Thanks, Laura, so much for your question. I love it when we get questions via the Facebook group because I know then that these podcasts are telling you what you actually want to know rather than what I think you want to know. And not only that, super excited to get my first voice question. So if you also want to provide a question, pop on over to the Facebook group or send me a voice message and I'll do my best to make sure that we answer it in a future episode of Take On Board. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Sally Davis and today we're going to be focusing on the relationship between the CEO and the board. First, let me tell you about Sally. Sally's a consultant and she specialises in strategic planning, leadership and organisational development. And she works with clients in a range of sectors, including the arts, universities and the not-for-profit sector. Her background, I find fascinating. So Sally started out as a Connie on the trams. For those of you in Melbourne, you'll know exactly what that means. For those of you not in Melbourne, it's a conductor on the trams. And she was also a tram driver on our beautiful trams in Melbourne. She's worked in the community sector, in the educational sector, in vocational education and training. 
And I met Sally when I was on a board, on my first board, the Community Services and Health Industry Training Advisory Board. And I met Sally in her interview for the CEO and we gave her the job. So I met Sally when she became the CEO of the organisation of which I was on the board in her interview for CEO. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Sally. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Helia. It's lovely to be here. So today we are going to talk about the relationship of the CEO and the board, which is exactly how we met. Mm -hmm. So tell me, in that role, which was your first CEO role, how did you go about establishing a relationship with the board and working with the board? So maybe I should just say a little bit about what a strange organisation it was and what a strange board it was. Oi. Yeah. We we weren't that strange. (laughs) Um, Because... (laughs) It was actually based on industrial parties and there were kind of four groups who made up the board. There were the unions and the nurses who weren't quite the same as the rest of the unions, so they were quite split. And the employers, it was in community services, were split between government in its role as employer and private employers. The role of the board and of the organisation was to establish the requirements for training in the community services and health sectors, known as competency standards, quite technical work. And there'd been quite a lot of dysfunction at that time. In terms of the role with the board and the CEO, it was my first time, so I was quite terrified, of course, and uh, people had warned me about all the paperwork. The key things that I, I had to do was, first of all, spent quite a lot of time actually talking to the chair prior to every meeting and then once I got into talking to the chair, talking to every other person on the board, 16 directors. So I probably spent most of my time on the telephone. And also we had to get consensus through quite a prickly industrial relations landscape, which meant that I had to be very carefully positioned as non-partisan and play a role in giving the board the information that they could use to make the decisions without walking out, which meant everything had to be done in advance because otherwise you'd get to a board meeting and people would throw their hands up in the air and that would be the end of it. So there was an enormous amount of me talking to each of those four groups prior to a board meeting, finding out what was the position of each somehow trying to, without showing my own view, express that to other parties and get them talking about it. Sometimes the things that the board might achieve involved actually doing things differently to what the rules said. So then I had to talk to the funding bodies about could the rules be bent to enable a consensus. So most of my time was just spent in on the phone, on the phone, on the phone. I guess like any senior role, you never want the surprises to happen at the meeting. So the relationship between me and the chair was crucial. So none of those conversations were just me going off my own bat. They were, I'd talk to the chair, I'd say, and the chair changed over. So in terms of talking through to the different parties and the different directors, I'd always have to check in with the chair first and ongoing so that the chair always knew I'm talking to this lot and I'm talking to that lot and going backwards and forwards. So that was really critical. So on the phone, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone. And the other thing was always doing a walkthrough. So prior to any meeting of the board, 
I would sit down with the chair and we would do go right through every single item on the agenda, check the papers, did they make sense, who was going to say what, who was going to be upset, who was going to be happy, what might they say, what might be contentious and just work through. And in terms of a new chair as well, that was really useful for some of the chairs because that gave them the thinking space about what might happen in the meeting and for me as the CEO as well. So it was a really a two-way thing. I'm just suddenly thinking as well when there was a new chair, that actually was my role in developing the chair mm. because that chair might have turned up to the meeting and not known and I was then able to say this is what might happen or this is the agenda, who do you think is going to complain, who do you think is going to be happy and we'd work it through together. So that was really important. Mm. So it was fun. You were there, Helia. Would you like to add to that? (laughs) Hey, who's interviewing who here? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, obviously that was a long time ago and we still have a professional relationship. So clearly from my perspective as one of the board members and I think I was on the executive at the time, The thing that we were very impressed about was, you know, indeed some of the things you've described, your communication skills with the board and just there was no surprises. And as a board, that is exactly what you want. You don't want to turn up to a board meeting or even worse, not at a board meeting, reading in the media or somewhere else that things are happening that you're unaware of. So as a board director then and as a board director now, I love it when my CEO has a no surprises policy and I love it when they communicate well with the board, generally through the chair of the board, but sometimes as required with other members of the board. And I think the other thing I heard from you there is having that independent hat, which is sometimes challenging for Mm. a CEO to manage some of the different interests at a board, uh, and you managed to walk that tightrope beautifully. And it was a (laughs) tightrope. So... That was part of your experience there at that at the ITAB, as we called it, around settling into your role as CEO, establishing that relationship with the board and with all of us. You were in that role for a couple of years and is there anything else from that experience? I mean, that is all fabulous advice to people listening around what to look for in a CEO and what a healthy relationship with a CEO might not look like. Not that there's not other ways of doing it, but is there any other advice you might have for boards as to what to look for in their CEO and how to support their CEO? Probably not. It's mostly about the openness and the ability to have a conversation with the CEO around what the board needs as well. So to be able to say, we need this kind of information, we need this kind of analysis, we need less of that, more of that. I think that's really important. Again, that's particularly between the CEO and the chair. So when you were in that role, what did the board or the chair do well, or indeed not so well, to support you in your role? Because you've Mm. talked about how Mm. you provided support to the board. How Mm. did the board provide support to you? I have one example that's quite interesting because I was brand new as a CEO. I was brand new in Sydney, didn't know a soul, had some staff who were really difficult to recruit for because it was such a weird organisation. And at one stage I had an issue with one of my staff members. I, I actually was able to speak to the chair and the chair coached me around how to deal with this particular staff member and how to manage it. And I really appreciated that. And I thought that at that point where I was at, that was appropriate for the chair to do. 
I suspect that some CEOs would be nervous about that because they don't ever want to look stupid in front of their chair. But I think if you've got a good relationship, you should be able to trust the directors to give you the support and to ask for it. And the directors should be able to openly and supportively respond to the needs of the CEO. Mm, Okay. So... I know since then, since that role, you've done a range of consulting roles, like I talked about earlier on, and I know part of that has been supporting people who might be aspiring CEOs. Mm. So what's been your advice to them in that regard in relation to the working with the board? What we were talking about in terms of the relationships and how important they are has never changed Mm -hmm. and also how to frame how to communicate effectively. I've got a really lovely example of a a woman I've been recently doing some coaching with. She said I could name her, so shout out to Hayley Bennett, who's just been promoted to the deputy CEO role at the Australasian College of Dermatologists. It's a professional association and they've been incredibly supportive to her in helping her career. So they're very good at that whole succession planning, even at for themselves as the board and I did the board strategic planning for them as well so I had both sides of what was going on. Two examples with Hayley which I thought were really interesting and would probably help anyone thinking of working in a CEO role. One was that I think there was a new director appointed to her board and she was doing the email you know I'm here if you need me and when we were talking we said let's reshift that instead of offering to be there if you need why don't you offer to go out and have coffee meet this person it's national body they're not all in Sydney so why don't you establish that relationship and offer to show her around and meet coffee all that sort of stuff and that worked really well she was apparently incredibly grateful so again the importance of relationships is a two-way thing The second example was that I facilitated the board's strategic planning day and it was very visionary, very far-reaching, very blue sky and was aiming to take a big step. And there was consensus, there there were other people besides just directors at the day, there was a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm and there were some issues with the industry around relevance in government, etc. And so the strategic plan that came out is quite a big jump But then when your board gets together and they have to actually approve the budget to go with it and how much more is going to go with it and the reality checking starts to happen. So I worked again with Hayley and also with the CEO and we really worked through how do we translate that strategy into operational matters but also how to to frame it so that it's not an ask too big, Mm -hmm. so that it's a sensible ask and how to do the discussions in advance and no surprises, find out in advance, talk to the chair, talk to other people to get the strategy translated in a way that made everyone comfortable with the amount of the stepping up that was associated with that. So that was the second good example was, again, the preparation around framing and consulting again around that. And how do you advise clients or work with clients translating the plan into something more operational and the budget is key and the boards often come up with these fantastic strategic plans and then get down to the nitty-gritty. How how do you communicate some of those things differently? Because there's a whole range of different communication styles. There's a range of different things that different directors think are important. How do you do do that? So in that instance, how did you do it? Well, first of all, it was really important that Hayley and 
Tim and the others and the, the senior staff were actually at the strategic planning day. Mm -hmm. So they were part of hearing the messaging. Secondly, they had also done quite a lot of preparation around what was feasible and where and ideas. And so they contributed with the operational on the ground ideas that sometimes directors don't have because directors are doing other jobs. So they were able to contribute those into the planning process. They were part of the consensus and they had ownership. So they heard all of that. Then what we did afterwards was we ran some workshops with the whole exec back at the office around what does this mean? What's achievable? What have we already got? What can we build on? When can things happen? And that was really a similar process to strategic planning, but it was facilitating the operational staff around what's doable, what's feasible, what's in place, what's new, what's what's coming up that they know about, and then making sure we could demonstrate that connection back to the strategic plan. Was there any sticky moments in that process where some of the things may not have been translated? Not with them because it was a small organisation and that whole executive team were part of the strategic planning day. So mm -hmm. there wasn't any sticky mm. points. The main times I've had that, because that's some of what I do, is where often organisations will do a, a strategic plan that's massive. I'm thinking of universities, for example, their strategic plan is so big that when you try and translate it down to a faculty or a school within a university, there's a massive gap in what that means. But generally those organisations do that intentionally because they don't want to make everyone the same. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a lot of permission and authority for the people at the ground to do more themselves and to bring their own knowledge so long as it's consistent with more principles and broad directions rather than incredibly specific. Mm. So in those larger organisations mm -hmm. then, because you're right, in a smaller organisation it's easy to have everybody there. So it's easy to get that alignment in the room. In a larger organisation, what's your advice to boards in terms of ensuring that there is alignment but also that difference in the different levels? I think the language of the strategy has to be inclusive and I think there's an enormous role for either the CEO or people on the board to actually come and spend time in the organisation talking to the people who are heading up the business units who are doing their own plans underneath it mm. so that you've got that alignment. And speaking of alignment, yeah. I know you've worked with an organisation where well, shall we say there was a bit of disparity mm. between the board's perception of circumstances and the CEO's perception of circumstances. Can you tell us a bit about that example and what your advice was in that? It's actually quite common. So, Helio, when I'm doing coaching with CEOs or senior staff, they often express concern about who they're reporting to. It's too much paperwork, it's too difficult, they don't understand us, they don't know what we're really doing, them up there. So I think that's actually fairly common. I had an example recently where the CEO that I was talking to was concerned that the board were unable to really fulfil their role, particularly around advocacy, public philanthropy, etc which was quite important so that in itself is quite an interesting one in part of the briefing and whether they were functional or not when I spoke to the chair the chair was really confident that the board was doing a fantastic job and that's very hard when you're the facilitator mm -hmm. because you have to enable 
both the CEO and the chair to shine and to achieve what they need to achieve in a strategy day. And that is quite tough to do it. One advantage of being external is sometimes I can have a fearless and frank conversation with CEO and or chair or both about things that I've observed or have come out of the meeting and I think that's a really useful thing to be able to do and I do that quite frequently. To me it's more that it raises a lot of questions and again this isn't from that example but a number of examples together. Questions are things like can staff go straight to the board and what happens if they do? What if they don't like the CEO? What if there's an issue with the CEO? How's that managed? What if the board thinks they're amazing and they're really wonderful and they're actually just doing busy work and they haven't got any strategic skills? What if they think they're great at governance and they're just doing number crunching and they can't see beyond that? What if the board is not that functional? What if the CEO board isn't? I don't know the answer to that, to be frank. Mm. I think that's a a really difficult one, but potentially it's something that boards and CEOs could try and ask themselves more and maybe see if they can do more reflection around what's worked and what hasn't. Mm. And potentially I think it's quite hard to be open to being challenged around your expertise and... Sometimes an external person or, or an external function, someone to come in and do a, a – I know some boards do things like skills matrix sessions, etc. Sometimes those kinds of things can help identify gaps in a way that that board would be happy with. Mm. It is – I mean, self-awareness in any leadership role, including board roles, is key. Mm. And encouraging reflection is absolutely one day one way of doing that. Although, of course, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, often those that need to do the reflection are those that are least likely to do so. Agreed. <laughs> um, and one of the ways I think often boards do this is either getting an external facilitator for a strategic planning day or some sort of conversation or a board evaluation, bringing somebody in to evaluate, which might be an online survey, it might be interviews, and having that independent voice in the room that can name the elephant is sometimes helpful for boards to kind of increase that. The other thing you mentioned there was about, how did you put it, about them up there, you Mm. know, the board being in their ivory tower, because it's always a balance for boards. They need to be governance, they need to be strategic, not operational, yet at the same time need to be connected to the organisation and somehow walk that tightrope. What have you seen that works well? The fourth example was that piece of research that I did in the aged care sector about what makes high-performance governance. And in that example, it was about visibility. So where board members would actually attend the organisation, visit, be invited in to come and see how certain units were, were working, get to know people, get to know customers, get to know constituents... The presence was really, I think, can make a massive difference to an organisation. It doesn't have to be, I'm here to tell you. It can be from a director or a chair's perspective. It's, I'm here to find out. I'm interested in what you're doing. I'd like to know. And for the staff involved, it's a chance then to showcase and actually put on their best performance and feel appreciated, feel heard. Mm. That's been the best example I've seen. And I agree with you about the tightrope, but I think there's really a a role for boards to not be invisible. Mm. I think organisations really benefit 
and staff really benefit from a board that has some visibility and that it's a face-to-face visibility rather than some people who they can look at a picture on a website. Mm. I know at one of the organisations that I'm on the board of, the Royal Women's Hospital, we do regular what we call walk-arounds, so with the executive, and I'm under no illusions that we see everything in the Mm. organisation when Mm. we do that because we tell people that we're coming, it's the executive and the board and... I'm sure we don't get to see everything. Having said that, I've I've often been impressed by how upfront the staff are in telling us exactly what they want to go. That so they see it as an opportunity often, and not just an opportunity to showcase the best and brightest, but to also tell us exactly what's going on. And if you're not hearing some of those stories about what's not going well, then I suspect they're hiding it, which is not good for culture. And in that example, again, it was in the health sector that sometimes business units got the chance to invite so they could say, we've got something coming up. We'd love someone from the board to come to it. Mm. And that was promoted by the CEO in the organisation as something that was available and people got a chance to do it and they loved it. Oh, Sally, we have covered an enormous amount in terms of that relationship between the board and the CEO from a bit of both perspective there because you've been the CEO and you've worked with boards. What are the main things that you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Relationship, relationship, relationship. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The importance of directors and chairs talking to the executive, having presence and for the CEO and the executive to be talking to the board and talking to the chair and other directors. Don't ever underestimate that. The time spent on building those relationships is never, ever wasted. That's number one. Probably a second takeaway would be the importance of the walkthrough prior to any board meeting. So the chair and the CEO sitting down together, not 10 minutes before the board meeting, but in enough time to also do any problem solving, having to phone people in advance, whatever it is, but actually having a thorough walkthrough of the agenda. Probably the third one is around the framing of papers so that it's not just thousands of pages of papers but they're succinct they're to the point they give the information that's needed they enable the board to have the kind of dynamic dialogue conversation they need to have um, without just being swamped by papers there's obviously an art to that Mm. but i think those would be the key takeouts beautiful thank you there are some amazing pearls of wisdom in there i think not just for boards, about what to look for in terms of that relationship with CEOs, but also for people that might be CEOs or aspiring CEOs, for them in how to develop and maintain a relationship with their board. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you, Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.